Hello, everyone. Today is January 21st, 2022. My guest today is Victor Nazita. Victor is the founder of Cyber Brain Academy, a professor at the University of San Diego, and an Army Reserves captain. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Victor. Of course. Thanks for having me on the podcast. We appreciate it. Absolutely. So you were not born in America. You were you are an immigrant of Nigeria, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I was actually born in Nigeria. Um, I was born in a small village in Nigeria. And I came to the United States when I was about almost seven years old. Um, it was in 1999 uh, when I immigrated to the United States. So that's correct. I was born in Nigeria. And um, yeah, you know, being an immigrant, um, you know, it's not like, you know, a lot of, you know, unique challenges. But I really appreciate the opportunities that the United States you know, provides my family, especially for education. Um, but yeah, like being an immigrant, give me a unique perspective on business and really just like a lifestyle um, altogether. What types of unique perspectives do you think you gained? Um, I definitely gained an appreciation for, for hard work because when we came to America, my family and I lived in a small apartment in Gary, Indiana. So it was a one bedroom apartment, you know, four of us. And not to do like a sob story here, but um, I, didn't ha I never slept in my own bed until I was like, like 12 years old. I was sure to bed my mom, my brother, because all three of us were bed um, growing up because we didn't have it. We grew up, you know, pretty much homeless for two years. Um, so, you know, to see that and then see my mom get her bachelor's, you see my family, you know, progress through life. Um, it really kind of shows me that you can't get the rewards without the sacrifice. Um, so being an immigrant, you know, definitely helps you see that through like material, like through a material process from, you know, going from an apartment to a house, from a you know beat up car to a nicer car. So seeing that, progress through life and knowing that the result of it or the key component has always been hard work it really resonates that you can't really slack off in in life especially if you want to get what you want out of life wow that is a pretty amazing thing to recognize throughout your childhood yeah thank you yeah i was, I was very uh, fortunate to have struggled i guess through life to really appreciate and see the opportunities that await people once they really kind of you know really work hard and go towards those like fears that they have. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a child of Im immigrants. My parents immigrated before I was born. So, and uh, they, they speak about those struggles, you know, when they were first here for a few years, but I never actually was able to see them the way that you did and were able to recognize that. Yeah. I mean, I, it was always, you know, during the process, it feels like a, like a forever process. It feels like you're always going to st be stuck in that moment. And then one thing happens, you know, like for example, my mom passing her nursing exam and then my brother going to college and then me going to college, like just little progresses through life, like just little milestones. You know, you look back and you see how far you've, you've came by just focusing on one little step at a time. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's great. Those small milestones. What about your Nigerian heritage do you think really resonates with you and you're able to bring here to the United States? I think it was really the challenge that I had. I had a very unique uh, experience when I was about five years old. Um, I was in school, I was in grade school and back, back there we call it like a primary school. Um, it's, it's a very like UK focused on, um, you know, country. And my, my teacher, one day, it's probably my favorite day of class, so I remember walking to class, so we, we walked to school, you know, about like probably a mile and a half, two miles to school. And I was in class and we we're talking about computers. And it was great timing because the day before I saw my first remote. 
So I was like, man, I'm seeing technology. Like, I'm a little bit about it. So he drew, he drew a computer on the, on the chalkboard. And all I remember from the class was he had a, a monitor, keyboard, CPU. And then he said, this is the three components of, of, three components of, a, of a computer. And I remembered like those three, three words, monitor, keyboard, CPU. I had no idea what it meant, but I remember like, I, was like, I was intrigued by it. And what I liked about it was just like, man, this is really interesting because it, it was almost like magical. You know, because you know it exists, but you haven't seen it yet. And you know, everyone's seen it but you, and you know it's out there, but you, so you have a lot of belief in it, but physically you've never seen it. Um, but he ended the class saying, well, unfortunately, most of you will never see this in your life. You know, because you know, a lot of people there, you know, we're really poor, and we never, we never saw technology in our lives up to this point. So what are the odds of us seeing it in the future? And you know, this is back in like, this is probably back in like 1999 or 1998 time. So I remember going back home, like kind of down and depressed, like, man, I mean, he was right. You know, you're going back to you know, your small village, you're not really exposed to technology. And then you magically win the immigration lottery. You come to America like two months later, and then you go to your, you know, you go to your uncle's house, your uncle's apartment, and right in front of you is a computer. You know, and seeing that, you know, within a few months as a, as a child, you, you kind of, you know, start challenging what people tell you, like, how do you know this for my future? How do you really determine what's going to happen in the future, especially with technology? Technology advances so fast and at a scale where, you know, it's more, you know, it's more affordable for the, for the regular, regular consumer. And to see a computer in real life, you just know that it's the same time period, just different, just different location. So really, like, how fortunate you are and what you're exposed to is just based off where you're born in geography. And, you know, in reality, you know, these kids growing up without technology, it's not their fault. You know, they just, you know, they grew up without, they grew up in the wrong, wrong part of the world, you know, and for me to see that these opportunities are out there, I just want to tell everybody about it, like, man, really, like, all we got to get these computers all to these kids just to let them know that that teacher was wrong when he said, you never see this, just to give them that, that hope, you know, because you can't let someone decide your destiny for you, especially when you trust that person, you know, so you want to believe it. And then you know, if I was to believe that, I would grow up my whole life thinking, Technology is not for me, and I would have probably you know, never ran towards it. But I'm fortunate to have went through that experience because I feel as though because I saw that he was wrong. You know, I kind of challenged myself more to say, you know, well, here I am. Now I'm like, I'm out of where I thought I would be in my life. You know, now I can explore for I can explore further. Um, so that was a unique experience in Nigeria that really kind of drew me towards technology. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm really glad it happened, and I love telling that story to people because it tells you that you know never give up and don't let someone else you know tell you where your dream should be. You should be the one to decide you know what your destiny should be. No, that's pretty incredible, and it's hard to you know it's hard to take that in. Say okay, he said you know he or she said you know this that I can't do this, but then still be able to continue, and then eventually. Once you do get the opportunity, capitalizing on that opportunity is very big. Yeah, especially as a child, we can see that as a, as a child, it, it stays with you throughout your whole life. Absolutely. And it's not easy to recognize. That's, I mean, because like you said, you, you know, first growing up in a village where you have to walk one and a half to two miles every day. Right. And then you're not, you know, we who are born and raised in America, we take these computers very much for granted, like, you know, we, a lot of us had a computer in the house before we were 10 years old. A lot of us, you know, every single day we would go into a classroom, there would be a computer somewhere. And you don't realize like 
there are other places in the world where people struggle using a mouse and a keyboard because it's not like us where we use these two things, you know, screen, mouse, keyboard, you know, CPU, the keyboard monitor, like your, your professor said, every day when you use it every day then it's like okay it's there but and it's amazing tool people you know they like to say a lot of you know technology is consuming us or whatnot but in the end of the day it's really helping us out a lot absolutely and the best part about it in my opinion is education technology opens up education because as as you know as a kid growing up in nigeria i was told from birth education is your is your best friend you're gonna go to college there's no, there's never a plan B, you know, for my family. And unfortunately, you know, my brother's a doctor at, at Harvard and, you know, my whole family, you know, is very educated. So we take education very seriously, um, but to make education or, or passion for education with online schooling, we can really hit a lot of countries. For example, I created a CSSP course a few years ago and we had over 900 students and a lot, a lot of students were from Nigeria. Wow. And I thought that was, that was, that was a crazy, you know, crazy you know, turn, turn, turn of events. For that to happen, especially you know, over a few years of just you know grinding out, you know, creating a course that we think can help a lot of people. Um, but yeah, so just to make it affordable, make it online, you can change a lot of lives because those certifications help people get jobs, help people you know feed their families. So you make a lot of impact by just making a resource more more available and more affordable. Yes, and you said it already. You know, making that resource just easily available. It's you know. And, you know, to bring that to an international market, it's like we here in America, again, we have these computers, we, you know, kind of get these cybersecurity tips because we work in offices where it's obvious. But for a lot of people abroad, they don't get these very obvious tips like, you know, you should do this with your passwords or you should do this. So to have a resource available to them is very smart business plan by you. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, because when I started the, 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 my my company, um, my scope was really um, my team, my small cyber team. So I was fortunate enough to be the Army's first cyber officer. So I went through like an 11-month cyber operations course in Fort Gordon, Georgia. And coming coming out of it as a reservist was a new experience for anybody. I was, I was the first to ever go through it. And what I realized was I had so many companies hitting me up for jobs, hitting me up for interviews. And all I did was add five letters to my to my last name. You know, I got a new certification and that was what recruits were looking for. And it's really because you check the HR boxes, you know, and it's, you know, it's kind of the landscape of you know, the cybersecurity field right now where it doesn't matter how good you are in hacking and forensics, whatever, whatever skill set that you really took the time to really, you know, really hone in on. If you're not, if you don't have a governing party to certify you, to say you are good to go, it's really just hearsay, you know, because Anyone can say that they can code, but someone who went through like a structured way of learning how to code and it's endorsed by a global standard, it's a little bit, it's gotta be a little bit more subjective towards the, the interviewer to say, well, we trust your word, but Harvard already endorsed this person. So the endorsement process is really what's really important. And that's what I saw coming from the military was that my resume was the same, but I got a new certification. You know, I but I really learned so much through the process of studying for the certification that I understand why I'm more in demand because I I, I acquired so many more skills through the through the learning process that the salary and the opportunities really does make sense because 
these skills do take a long time to learn. And people who are knowledgeable in this skill set, they're being pulled due to all the, all the demand for hackers. I mean, all the demand for ethical hackers, all the demand for people who understand hackers, who understand cybersecurity vulnerabilities, because businesses now need protection more than ever. Because you know, back in the day, we didn't have such a surplus of hackers. We didn't have such a high availability of tools that anybody can pick up a laptop and now can hack Chase Bank, for example. You know, so and then we don't have YouTube videos where they break it down how to do it ethically. But then obviously, you know, people take malicious, you know, intent with it. Um, and there's so many ways where we try to spread the knowledge of hacking and cyber and not make it seem um, malicious or, or deviant. And the best way to do that is to really show that these are a great, these are great jobs to like, provide um, food for your family, to pay your, pay your bills. Um, I've, I've had um, students send me letters saying that there were, there were um, teachers. He was a teacher with like four kids and had a hard time making ends meet. He went to my course, gone to cybersecurity, and now he has no, he has, he's obviously he's working two jobs. He can now work one job and be there for his, for his family. So education can do that for people. And we make it online, anybody can have access to it. Um, so, you know, having that opportunity, you know, with the military, you know, backing me in terms of like, you know, giving me more certifications, more education, it really advances how much more impact I can make to the civilian world as well. Absolutely. And for someone who wants to start in the cybersecurity realm, it's not very obvious where to start. It's not like you can just go onto YouTube, type cybersecurity, and then you're going to get the, you know, all the answers to you. It's much, I think, easier for someone to absorb it when someone who's already gone through this process is, you know, creates a sort of, you know, a sort of plan or sort of curriculum, which is makes, you know, a sort of time sense. The introduction has already been thought out. Okay, what would a person who has no idea what cybersecurity is need to know? And then what would, you know, they need to know next. And then eventually within the certain time frame, which, you know, you, you can't teach everyone, every, you can't teach a beginner everything in this limited amount of time. Right. So you have to also, you know, be reasonable about how much can this person digest within the amount of time we have. And for someone who's a novice, that's not obvious. And, you know, having a teacher there will make that much easier to actually learn and you know to if they want to become a hacker maybe one day after they take several several certifications they actually could have the potential to do that but to just say i'm going to you know start being a hacker and not have any sort of formal training i think is nearly impossible well, so, I mean, it's, it's possible to an, to an extent, right? Because there are so many great websites out there, like tryhackme.com, where they'll break down how to hack from scratch to, you know, how to use MMAP, Metasploit. So they'll break down how to use these tools for you. So they'll teach you the basics. But you're absolutely right. The only issue with those um, courses that, I, in my opinion, is that the answers are available online. You know, so when you go to a hiring manager and you want to say you are a good hacker and you have all these certifications from like TryHackMe or all these other um, vendors, if the answers are available, if the answers are available online, if you lose credibility because there's that, there's that slim chance, even some one percent chance that you put with the answers or whatnot. So they might not take it, and that's another issue I've seen with the military. You know, a lot of times the military, uh, me me being included, we kind of drink the Kool Aid, thinking that every military course we take will transfer well into civilian life. And what I've seen from a lot of veterans 
um, is that in the civilian world, myself included, being a reservist, I get to see both, you know, in parallel. Um, what I've seen is that the civilian world, they don't really understand what those courses mean. If I said I went to a senior leaders course in the army, you don't understand, like, what does that really mean, right? But if I said to CompTIA Security Plus in the army, everyone knows CompTIA Security Plus, military and civilian included. So that, that speaks directly to civilians when you talk about the technical skills you're required because all I, got, all I have to do is go to CompTIA.com and see all the skills that they quit, that they tested you on. So I can know you have a baseline knowledge on all of these topics. And the benefit of that too, if you have a, a team and all are CompTIA Security Plus certified, they all have the, the exact same baseline. Now, if each one of them self-taught themselves how to hack or how to do cybersecurity, some cybersecurity um, field, now they all co are coming in with different baseline. One might be really advanced, but most likely a lot of them are kind of coming at a lower level because they don't have that teacher to show them structurally how the industry wants them to learn how to do their job. Um, so that's the benefit of certifications. And, and honestly, as you know, I've seen the military and the, the advantage of it, you know, the military understands that. They understand you know, what the issue is. That's why every soldier now is a process, it's a, it's a program that we're part of called Army Correctional Assistance, where every soldier gets four thousand dollars towards um IT towards IT certification classes and vouchers. Wow. So the advantage of that is Cyber Academy, we have over forty IT certifications and vouchers listed in that program. So now the soldiers can take their learning to their own hands and not get quality training vouchers within their $4,000 every year. So when they leave the military, instead of getting these senior leaders courses, these armies weapon courses, they don't really transfer to an IT position, for example, because I was in infantry for about six years of my, of my career. And this, I love to shoot guns, I had a really good time, but it wouldn't really help me as a software engineer. It was more like a weekend hobby as a, as a reservist. But whereas cyber directly helps me in my, in my, um, in my civilian career. Um, so like, that's the advantage of you know, having that parallel life of being a, being a service member and um, being, being a civilian, because I get to see really how both operate. And also I, I see the, um, the same issues, which is quality training. They both need people. The military is struggling to find people and then keep people in cybersecurity, whereas the civilian world is doing the exact same thing. Either they're bringing, bringing cybersecurity people, overloading them, and then they leave. Or they bring cybersecurity people, underpay them, and then they leave. So it's always an issue to try to keep, try to find a good balance where you can get a, get a really good staff. And the solution, in my opinion, is to really hire, hire internally. There's so many advantages of hiring internally because all you have to do is teach them technical skills. So I've taught Security Plus where I've had people come into my class with no baseline knowledge of IT or cybersecurity. And within two weeks are now Security Plus certified. Right, so they come in to if they come in with a baseline knowledge, and let's say they already work in in the industry in another department that's already overloaded. Well, now they can go into an the IT cybersecurity field as a junior, kind of shadow of a senior or mid person. This, I mean, obviously you don't have the experience to come, come into the job directly, but they come in as a junior level, junior level um position. They can definitely get that get the skills and experience, and the company saves time, risk, and money by hiring internally, paying for the training. And the person is most likely going to stay with the company longer because they're seeing opportunities that they wanted anyways. Um, so that's kind of my solution to fix that, fix that problem. Um, so that's, that's kind of a rant and a rumble and a little, little rant, but I um, hope I answered your question with that one. No, you did. Yes. And, you know, going back to your point, it's, uh, it's important, you know, like these, these certifications and this knowledge and communicating that you know this in a sort of way that, 
the industry is going to recognize, you know, we, you might want to say, Oh, I kind of want to just learn it all online and, you know, I'll have this knowledge, but then at the end of the day, you know, we want to transfer that knowledge into making, into making good, a good salary because that matters and that makes life a lot easier. And then, you know, if we have a good salary, then we can continue and, you know, move on from there. But like you said at the beginning, life's not easy, you know, when you're sleeping in a bed with two or three other people and you're not making, you know, as much money as you need to, to live a comfortable life, or even as much as you see other people are making themselves and you just want to make that too is completely understandable. And these certifications almost certainly give people the opportunity and they translate across the world. Absolutely. You know, continue. No, sorry. That's, that's, that's the key benefit of it. And that's something that I am seeing a lot of with colleges. Um, so a lot of colleges now are doing these cybersecurity boot camps where it's a summer training about eight to 20 weeks long. And they're very beneficial. They definitely bring someone in from zero knowledge to you know, being ready for the security plus exam, for example. Um, so there's definitely a lot of benefits to it. Um, but you hit a really key point, which is global recognition, right? Because if I, I for example, I, I teach at the, the University of San Diego. I went there for grad school. And if I were, was to go to France, for example, and I say, out to USD, they might not know where, where that school is. But if I say I have a ISACA certification, well, they know ISACA because ISACA has global partners. So there's that weight to the name, right? Where your degree might have weight, but it might be a local, might have a lot of local weight, where you might think that, you know, your, your school that you're, I mean, I've, I've, for example, for example, my undergrad degree was in, was in um, computer engineering and technology from Purdue University. And my very first job, um, no lie, my very first job, um, I could not start the job because I didn't have a security plus certification. They didn't ask me about my degree. Wow. And yeah, and I thought it was pretty significant because I didn't, I thought after four years of being told a degree is what matters, a degree is what matters, here I am. And then the funny part about it was that I actually, actually graduated a semester later because I had to finish up my senior project. I had to finish up, a, like I wrote a, I wrote a, um, I wrote, I wrote a, a application for an Android app and I had to finish doing the comments on the code. Um, so it took a little bit extra long, it took a little bit extra longer to finish that project. And during that whole semester, I, I technically haven't finished my bachelor's yet, but even though I was working full time, but all they really cared about was the Security Plus certification to, to check the box. And the reason is because the client, being the US Army at the time, wanted that. That was their requirement. So the US Army required the certification more than the, the degree. And that's because of a regulation called the DOD 8140, previously called the DOD 8570. So what is, what is, what is um, directive does is it allows all government IT positions, anything that, they, anything that allows you to touch an IT equipment, it requires you to have a baseline certification like, like Security Plus or CND or some kind of baseline certification for that role. So that's the, I just mentioned the, the entry level roles. So there's more advanced like you know, CI, SAM, CSSP, for example. So they scale each certification per work role that you need as a baseline requirement. No college degree requirement, just the certification requirements. So unbeknownst to me, when I started my job was I could have done this job probably a little bit sooner, perhaps an intern, you know, with the Security Plus certification. 
so there's so many opportunities that I didn't know about because I didn't know about that in colleges because colleges were always telling you that it decreased what matters. Well, in cybersecurity, colleges need to kind of weigh like 50-50, like we need a degree, but if you want any kind of government role, and here's the funny thing about it too, is like most people don't understand like how many roles are available. For example, I live in San Diego. The largest cybersecurity employer in San Diego is the US Navy. So as a, as a contractor, as a civilian, there's so many opportunities available right here in San Diego, but they all require a baseline certification. So if you're switching industries, that's the quickest way to go in because it doesn't require four years of schooling. You come in with the same baseline, you learn on the job. And honestly, it's, it's the best way to kind of fill that skills gap that we are, we're currently experiencing in the, um, the workforce. Absolutely. And I think one thing that you've noted already, and I don't think we've directly said it, but I'm going to say it now. You mentioned that one of the great things about you know computers and networking and the internet is online education you know, institutions such as Cyber Brain Academy that, you know, and you also mentioned how you came out of Purdue, but still didn't have the skills necessary for your first job out of college. I felt the same way. I went to UCSD, University of California, San Diego, got a degree in engineering. And my first job was a systems engineering job. And I was not technically skilled for that job. And I think one of the big reasons is is because those that schools don't really prepare us. They they prepare us to learn and they give us experiences, but they don't give us the direct technical skills that employers are looking for. And I think the big difference is you know something from Cyber Brain Academy compared to Purdue University or UC San Diego is that those two institutions are very expensive and not very plausible for a lot of people, you know, especially the international community, but even people within the United States, a lot of people, you know, who need work can't go to Purdue or UC San Diego because it's too expensive where obtaining a certification with Cyber Brain Academy would be give them a job much more directly in less time and would be much less expensive just the education itself absolutely and that's exactly what it is um college is expensive and given COVID-19 you know we really don't put anybody in the economic um hardship right now so absolutely you're absolutely right about that college for me I was fortunate enough to do ROTC so I had a majority of my college paid for um but yeah an engineering degree from Purdue would definitely put me in the hole if I if it wasn't for the military to help me out. And honestly, like my personal like my personal experience with college was um, out of the four years that I was in college, I took probably one Java class because a lot of my classes were hardware classes, so it was mostly C programming, C sharp. So I took a little bit of Java. Um, so I took like one one class and one and a half where you do, do some Java on um, some some, um, some code, but the majority of it was C. I learned a lot of C. So then I applied to a lot of places, got no job offers, no callbacks. Um, but luckily, I was already an intern at, at um, SAI, SAIC, and they gave me a job in Fort Knox, Kentucky. And um, my job, guess what it was? It was a Java developer. The wow. one course I took in four years. If I knew I was going to be a Java developer, I would spend those four years learning Java. I would spend those four years mastering Java, so I would have came in as a senior in those four years since I come in as a junior. 
So there's so many little hacks you can do if I knew, if I knew directly what I wanted to do with my degree. Um, the, the, the disadvantage was that I didn't really know like, what I wanted to do with my degree yet, or even what I wanted to do with my career at that time. So I was kind of like playing it, kind of seeing what I liked. And unfortunately, what hired me was the thing I didn't like. But it was like, you know, like you said, you have to you know, provide for your family. You have to have a roof over your head. So of course, like, you know, of course I took the job. You know, it was a great experience because going through the job, I learned about Security Plus, learned about cybersecurity, and was able to switch over. Um, so I'm definitely fortunate for that experience. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Colleges don't really tell you enough about the real world because they are not unexposed to it. Because if, you don't, if, you never, if they never had a government IT job, they wouldn't know about this regulation. Um, so it's going to be really anecdotal to your professor when they're teaching you about the real world and what to expect. So unless you talk to someone who's been in the service, because like I said, I was the first to ever graduate from that cyber warfare course as, you know, as a reservist. So no one, up to, no one up to my point has had that experience of getting certification through the military and then providing it as a service to soldiers um, to show them like these are really, these are really what you want to use your benefits for that you're already allotted. Um, so a lot of it is still new. We're still, you know, working on new terrain. Um, but so far, you know, it's been a great experience, and you know, I'm, I'm really glad of the impact that we've made. You know, for the first um, three months of being partnered with, with ISACA, we've had over 90 soldiers get, get um, exam vouchers from us, which is a crazy story because when I was deployed, um, I was deployed last year in the Middle East, and I was trying to get an exam voucher for CISM certification. And I put in my request, and it was denied because they say, you didn't have a CISSP certification, why would you need a CISM? And I'm like, wait, I can partner with CI, I can partner with, with ISACA, and then create this, create it as a service and give, make it available to soldiers. So instead of the CISM, I added the, the, the CISA, all the ISACA certifications, made it available to soldiers, and I also included exam vouchers as an a la carte service. And it blew up after, after three months. So what I thought was my personal anecdotal you know, hardship you know, was being faced by a lot of other soldiers, and one of them being my baton commander in my unit. I was like, wait, I know this guy. I was like, wait, sir, how's it going? Like, yeah, yeah. And he, it's like, he's, he also had the same issues. He was also trying to get the certification voucher, but he couldn't get it. So it's been experienced up to the highest level of the military, but no one talks about it. So being able to see these like little niche problems that we can fix in the military, you know, really helps out, you know, our brothers and sisters in arms and really helps, you know, helps their education, helps them learn more, keep progressing. It helps them kind of stay in because they're also, you know, getting a reward for staying in. You know, they're investing in their personal career as well. That's the, that's the advantage of being a reservist because here the military is giving you money to take certification exams that also benefit your civilian career. So it makes you want to stay with the military a little longer. So everybody really, really benefits by adding those um, opportunities in the, in the program. Absolutely. And it's pretty smart of you and not easy of you to speak up and take an initiative for a problem that you recognized you had yourself. Because a lot of people will face some sort of hardship or some sort of problem. And then they, you know, it's hard for them to communicate that outwards because it's, you know, you know, sometimes people think of it as like, am I not, am I uh, not competent enough to handle this problem? Am I an imposter? But it's like, no, this is a problem. and, And if you communicate that, you found that there were many other people that were facing the same problem. And actually cyber brain Academy was able to take advantage or maybe not even set, but assist, uh, you know, your clients in progressing their career. And that's just good business. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you hit it right there. And honestly, um, an advantage of that, how I was able to do that was being 
being one of the pioneers of cybersecurity for the military because being one of the being the first graduate for National Guard and being able to really see the branch stand up is the first time in 33 years we've ever had a new branch in the military. So being able to see the inception of a new branch and then being like one of the leaders, being at the, the, the tip of the spear, I feel as though it's the responsibility because who else would do this? You know, like yes. if, if you don't do it now, you have to wait, you know, until the next group graduates and it's a year long process to get one person through. So if you do it now, you can, you can have a bigger impact on, on future generations, you know, so absolutely right. Like the sooner we do it, you know, the more impact I can have, because if I want to do it five years from now, that's five years of graduating cybersecurity officers that could have used this program to advance their, their knowledge, like learn like, like Pentest Plus, for example, or Surfactical Hacker, or just kind of branch out and learn more about cybersecurity to better their craft so the military also benefits. So there's years of the service that I'm doing by not really kind of going for it now and you know, kind of going all out there and take that risk on. Absolutely. And hopefully some of those students can fill, you know, this pretty serious employment gap that the entire, you know, industry is facing. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, it's the biggest issue with me is the theft, right? I think it was um, during, um, during, um, ransom, ransomware, like during the biggest ransomware attack we had with WannaCry, I think it was like 3% of the global GDP was attributed to, to, to WannaCry. So wow. you're talking about, I think like, like, I'm going to guess like, I'm like $70 billion, maybe probably more than that, but something in the way billions was, was lost. And in reality, this is the exact same concept of a real bank robbery. You know, somebody robs a bank and steals $5 billion out of it. You will be alarmed. But yeah, hackers do this on a daily, if not monthly basis. And it's kind of the norm, you know, and when we have a global GDP shortage of theft, the money's coming out of families, coming out of, you know, normal people. It's not coming out of, you know, billionaires. It's coming out of people who just want to use their computers to check their homework or just submit their papers, send an email. Now they have ransomware. Now they have to pay $200 to get to go back to the computer. Those are the people who are really being victimized by, by these hackers. So in reality, you know, the more people, more people, people we can get to really fill these roles, the more we're protecting, you know, the, the local people like me having a small business. If I get hacked, it was going to cost me a lot of money if compared to, you know, Apple and Microsoft. So, and the hackers know that. The hackers go for small and medium-sized businesses a lot, you know, so the more we can get, the more people we can get to really fill these roles, the more we protect more the, lo the little people who they're really targeting because they test out a lot of the big hacks on smaller companies because they know that they don't have the big protection. They don't have the big protection to really, you know, to really like push, push them off and they're going to pay because they know that they can't defend against them again. They can't protect, they can't, you know, defend against um, them by pulling a red team to do analysis. You can't, if hacker says we're in your box, like 15 different ways, we're in the pretty deep, we have rootkit capabilities, kernel level um, access, there's not much you can do. You have to kind of believe them because you can't employ, you know, a big, you know, real team to kind of do your thing. You say, all right, well, here's the money, please leave me alone. And you kind of pray that they don't come back. You know, so, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, we lose so much money, but we look at it as like when the big companies get hacked, it makes the news. We don't see the other medium-sized companies are also losing the same amount of money, but they can't afford the big lawyers. They can't afford the big insurance to recover it. They're, they're going out of business. And with COVID-19, we saw a spike of like, you know, 40% increase overall in cyber attacks. They're targeting businesses, like small medium-sized businesses who are trying to make ends meet. And all those guys go out of business. They get, they get cyber attacked. They're already worried about everything else with COVID-19. And now that's worried about a cyber attack. You know, it's not fair compared to you know companies who can afford to take that kind of risk on and keep going operationally like normal. 
Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really unfortunate event uh, when I see CyberTech because you know when you, when you hear of you know, 100, 100 million people lost their identity, there's 100 million students, you know, no more people just trying to go about their day, you know, just victims, you know, and it's, it's unfortunate and it costs a lot of money. For example, when the um, the DoD got hacked, uh, it was like 2011 or 2010, um, they spent two billion dollars just on envelopes to send you notifications saying, "Hey, your identity was was most likely stolen." Two billion dollars just for the envelopes to say you've been notified, just to notify people of being hacked. So talk about that's taxpayer money, that's out of my pocket, your pocket. So these hacks do 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 have kinetic effects on our lifestyle. Absolutely, and those big companies like Apple and Google. One, they're tech companies. They're the best tech companies in the world, and they have arsenals of IT personnel to help patch up any sort of issues that arise. And, you know, they they have an arsenal of smart, technically savvy people, but there are so many businesses that have nothing to do with technology. And the pervasiveness of technology enters every industry. And that's why, you know, even if you're going to be a CEO of say a textile company or a company that produces toys or sells wood, it's cybersecurity is going to be something that is going to take over everyone's life because it's, it's cyber is the most you know, cyber and networking are the most efficient way of doing business. And, you know, with that comes, you know, malicious actors, you know, instead of those physical bank robbers, now that a lot of the money is being moved, you know, through the internet and through digital platforms, that's where the bank robbers are going to go. And it might be even easier for them to hide now. Absolutely. And with cryptocurrency, it's a lot easier. It's so easier for them to pay each other, for them to hide from each other, not to not, not, not to trust each other, so they can stay anonymous and then still be part of a criminal gang organization. Um, so, and it also creates you know these networks of uh, criminal activity. For example, you know the ransomware service business, where you know for a few hundred thousand dollars, you can uh, buy really a really good zero day and use it, and start to test it, they verified it, it's good to go, and anybody the highest bidder can buy it. You know, that's the market that creates that's created from this, you know, process of being able to hide who mask who you really are online. Uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately. So you mentioned that you were the primary or the tip of the spear for the army in cyber warfare training, correct? Not for training, but I was the first to go through a lot of the um a lot of the a lot of the training, I suppose, but more of like the yeah, well, when we say training, I mean like the army training, not like the actual certification training. Um, but yeah, like the the, the um, so it's a cyber basic officer leadership course. So okay. it's really how to be how to be a leader in cyber operations for the army. Uh, also, like part of that course was um, the joint joint advanced cyber warfare course. Um, a lot of certification courses, C programming was a course. Um, it's a few weeks of leadership training that we do. Uh, I've also been in Korea. I was a defensive cyber. I was a defensive cyber operations chief um, for an operation in Korea. Uh, I was also the ISSM, the information security, information system security manager, at um, in Kuwait for nine months in my deployment. 
which is pretty interesting because I have the I have a very unique experience because I've, I'm the only one to ever do that job during COVID nineteen. Which so, job? Um, being the ISSM, being the information manager. Yeah, it's a very cool experience because you get to see, you know, really how well instant response works in real life. And how what being, works in real life? Instant instant response. Like when you put like the RRP, you know, the instant instant response plan, and you know they have that plan, but it really. Michael, Michael, sorry, Mike Tyson's um, pull really make a lot of sense. It really resonate where he says that everyone has a has a plan until you get punched in the face, and that's really where your IRP goes. You know, you're, you have this plan for instant response, and then when an incident happened, like a pandemic, you know how 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 well was it updated last? You know, like how would you, how well did you really go in depth with what to do? How would you notify other key personnel, other key organizations? You know, you really get to really test out how prepared you are. And what we've seen is that it costs it cost a lot of money to not be, be prepared. Small businesses got hit by not being prepared. Medium-sized businesses got hit by not being prepared. Even business, large, large businesses lost billions of dollars by not being prepared for teleworking. And hackers, you know, they took advantage of it. We saw a spike during the, the, the onset of, of teleworking because there's so many, now, so many more now IP addresses now online. So more, you know, it's a big landscape. So more likely you you get hacked. Um, so and then also too, more people are hacking because when you hear about a seventy-one million dollar hack, and anyone can pick a, pick a computer up and learn this stuff, you you kind of want to go to that industry. So you're gonna see more of these like novice hackers, these script kiddies who can watch a YouTube video and hack a small business and still make money off it, and they feel good about it because you know that's money in their pocket. But then we forget about like you know just the ethical concept of you know robbing someone you might as well like you know, to me i look at it as like you know still if you look if you look cyber if you look at cyber crimes in the same light as physical crimes we will take a little bit more seriously you know so i came to you someone walked up to you and stole your wallet that is so that's equivalent to someone you know sitting right down the line you feel you feel a certain type of way about it it's not just a certain phone call like hey your dining was stolen you're like no like all my stuff back i'll find out who it was you know take a little bit more um a little bit more of like forever with people when when they get emails saying, "Hey, sorry, your dining was stolen. This is what we're gonna do. Here's some insurance protection." It's like, no, where was it stolen at? You wanna know who it was? If it was a physical robbery, you know. So we have to ask the same kind of questions digitally to hold them accountable, because when you so when you give your identity online, you you're literally getting someone your your ID card. When you, when you go to a bouncer and give your ID card, you trust them to give it back to you in the same in the same in the same light. You don't trust them to like, you know, make make a copy of it somewhere and then misplace it. So when it does get lost, you say, "Wait, I, I thought that I, I thought you I thought you ever trust you with my ID, you know? How did it get stolen? Okay, now I want to know where it is. You know, if it's a physical ID, but online, our online identity, we've gone we've gone um, so desanitized to online theft and identity theft that we see cybercrime. It's like, oh, this company got hacked. Oh, that sucks, and we can't move on. But in reality, if someone walked in there, you know, with a gun and a mask." And walked out with five million dollars. That would be breaking news for a few weeks, you know. But with cybersecurity, just not that like. It's not the approach of okay, let's take this seriously because it's it's, it's online. It's not real, right? But in real, but if, if this happened in real life, if no one died, it would be the exact same scenario. Same amount of money is lost, and most money is now digital. So it's, it's the exact same as it's a regular bank robbery nowadays. Absolutely. And I think in social media, we've seen a, a different form of this online sort of desensitivity where, you know, there were a few years, it still happens, I think, where people on social media say these terrible things to each other in the commenting section. 
And these are things that you don't, you know, I just remember reading them and kind of being told, like hearing, like people probably wouldn't say this in person if, you know, they had to speak to that person's face. And they probably wouldn't say it this harshly or be, you know, so passionate. That could also be applied to cyber theft, where it's, if this person had to do it in real life, they probably wouldn't do it. But now that they can hide behind a computer, yeah. they they are more likely to do it because they think they won't be seen or they, they kind of have this sort of, you know, safeguard of physical, you know, this physical safeguard where they, they're more willing to take that risk. So we should actually be prepared for more thieves and more malicious people than ever because there's a sort of desensitivity towards this sort of theft than a physical theft. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that will bring light to a lot of cybersecurity issues because now we can kind of come at it with the light of now we need more cops. We need more people to put, to protect us from these bad guys in real life. So if there's a, it was a, if there's a, a cop crisis, we'll hear about it on the news. We'll hear about it more publicly. But here we are with a you know, 3.5 million job job shortage or job surplus, I'm sorry, a job surplus, we, we kind of find people to fill in these six-figure roles. And that's not making the news because that's not important enough. But we're doing, there's, those people are going to really do a lot, of, a lot of the same protection you will expect in real life, like protecting you from a dining theft, protecting you from your computer being stolen, from your, you know, from your computer being damaged, um, you know, from you losing thousands of dollars because you put in, because you're, your company had ransomware, now someone stole your password, you know, but because you didn't um, have enough cybersecurity knowledge or acumen because you, you didn't really learn more about cybersecurity. But here we are, we learn about like basics of like, how to protect yourself, right? Um, like protect yourself, how to go by day by day, but we don't really put in cybersecurity in that. But you are so vulnerable online, but we're not really teaching you how to protect yourself online. And it, it's crazy because there's so many little ways that you can really improve your cyber hygiene. For example, I, I taught the Girl Scouts a few years ago um, and one of, the, one of the things I taught was how to make a strong password. You know, pick your favorite color, your favorite number, and your favorite actor. You put them all together. That's your strong password. You're let, let's likely guess one of those three, all three together in the same sequence. Um, so something like that can really protect you from getting your, you know, your credit card information stolen. You know, so just sprinkle that on to like a high school classroom or some of like, make that a, a normal key life um, knowledge that you learn before you're, before you're 18. And that will save you, you know, probably like 1%, you know, chance less likely from getting your computer stolen. And maybe when it does happen, you know what to do. You know, you have your files backed up. You know, you know how to back up your files. So when you, let's say a ransomware attack does happen, you can back up till yesterday before you got affected and then get the update. So there's many ways that that will save you so much money and time. You know, so companies are now learning that, you know, after millions of dollars, you know, in damages. But we, as a commercial, you know, we, we, we as, you know, a commercial market, can win that on a day-by-day -day basis. And also when we win that from a day-by-day -day basis, and we go into these companies, now we're bringing in this, we're bringing in this cybersecurity acumen that's gonna protect the companies that we're going into. So instead of relying on the companies to train us up on cybersecurity hygiene, cybersecurity concepts, if we come in with that knowledge, we're gonna be, we're gonna learn it for the second time, third time, but it's gonna be ingrained in us. So when we leave the company, when we go back to our homes, we can apply it to our homes as well. It won't be as though it's just a quick employee training. Like, oh, this is a live training that I've learned. It's like how to drive a car. You know, you go to driving school for it, but you apply it every day. 
you know, so to me, that's exactly how I want cybersecurity to be, where you play every day in your life. Absolutely. And I don't think people realize that. And another thing that you highlighted, you know, that's not very obvious to non-engineers, non-IT folks, is that a lot of the most safe, you know, a lot of the fit work, pro- a lot of the processes that you can do for cyber hygiene are not that technically advanced. And I think that stops people. They think, oh, I need to be, a, you know, a pro hacker in order to defend myself. So I'm not even going to try. And it's like, no, there are very obvious things. Don't use the same password for mo- different accounts. Right. You know, it's not, you don't have to be a master coder or an engineer to keep good cyber hygiene. You just kind of have to be informed. And I think another thing that you highlighted that also isn't very obvious to people, especially to non-IT, non, non-computer people, is that this isn't something you do just for your job. Yes, it is good for your job, but you don't want to wake up one day and have negative $10,000 in your bank account. Yep. And, and so, so here's the thing about that, right? Here's where cybersecurity gets really important, right? So you made a really good point about it. So let's, I'm going to take the 10 grand example. All right, so I work in a help desk in Kansas, for example, right? So you call me and you say, hey, Victor, someone stole 10 grand from me. And I say, okay, let me verify who you are. I'm going to ask you for your social security number, your mom's maiden name, your address, your zip code, any kind of personal information I can find from you to verify who you are. Because in reality, I, don't know, I have no idea who you are. So you've checked all the boxes. Now I trust you. And now you can change your password. You can update your address. You can do whatever you want. You're in your account. So I think. I don't know who you are. I, but you've checked. To me, I've done, I've done my part in verifying your identity. Right? So then, I'm sorry. So, so let's say that, that's what I see from my end. Then you, you call, you, a, a, um, so you, 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 call, you call Victor, Victor Bank. Hey, Victor Bank, um, I can't find $10,000 for my, for my account. I'm like, yeah, you just took it out. You just took a withdrawal. No, I didn't. That was somebody else. Wait, who are you? I'm like, I'm, 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 you know, I'm Bob. No, Bob. Like you just, you just took out another. Like, I just talked to you, Bob. Bob had the social security number, the zip code. He had everything checked. Like who are you? like now? I'm suspicious that you're the hacker, because me, well, Bob, me, 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 and you know the previous guys had a great conversation. You know, he's laughing. Like, oh my, how you how's your day going? Like personable. Hey, I, I had a great time. I'll give you a great review. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Now somebody else calls you pissed off saying, hey, where's some money at? It's like, no, dude, like, I don't know who you are. Like, no, then didn't get, here's, here's the tricky part, right? Hey, sir, I, I, give me your, your home address. Here's my address. Oh, no, your zip code, right? And, okay, so, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll go through that. I'll go through that scenario. I say I'm the same person, and I'm, I'll tell you how it's even worse when it's a different person, right? So I'm me, right? I'm the, the previous person. The pre- previous person changes your zip code. Changes your information because he's had a great conversation with the previous person. He thinks he's Bob, right? Change Bob's information. Now, real Bob call, calls. He can't answer his own mother's maiden name. Now, who's the real Bob to the, to the strange? Let's say you call back, he's a different person. Different person answers. Doesn't know that he's had the, the fake guy just changed all the best information. And then actually, someone else that can't answer the information is like, sir, I can't give you any access to your, to your account. I legally can't. You don't know your mom's maiden name. Like, nice try, hacker. Like, hope it's being recorded because I'm doing my job. I'm literally doing my job. 
right? But to you, you're like, no, like, this is me. Like, what is going on? And then you think I said, like, is that, is that the right zip code? And you change your zip code. But meanwhile, the first guy went straight to it. Like, oh, here's the zip code. You're like, wait, is that the right one? I could have changed. Like, now you're questioning yourself. It's for a stranger, you put it from a strange, strange perspective, from a stranger who has no idea who the real person is, it is so dangerous. And the and the issue is that the bank would not give you a 10 grand back because they can't prove you can't prove that you are who you are. And how can they prove that that wasn't you before? And how can they prove that that wasn't your buddy calling to take a 10 grand? Either way, that's a big risk for them to trust you on without you know having some kind of you know valid way to prove that that was not staged, that was that was a legitimate hack. And the biggest issue is attribution because that phone number is obviously gonna be maxed right three levels down you know, through a, through a onion proxy that switches IP addresses every 10, every 10 seconds through different hops throughout the world. You would never find that person. So that person just took out $10,000 from your account that you would never get back all because he called and got your information because he had your ID from, from walking by you and taking from your, from, from your wallet, from your pocket. Because you know physically that's the ramifications of someone taking your identity in real life. They can do that to you. And you will say, yeah, I watched him take my wallet. But in, real, in, in the online world, we're big account information on all the time, not seeing if it's encrypted. And then when it happens to us in real life, it doesn't happen to us to do $100 that we had in a bank account. The, the, it's not cash. Your, your wallet's actually more secure because it's only 100 bucks in your, in your wallet. You're talking about like your entire life savings. You know, so the impact is so much greater. And yet we have a surplus of openings for people to protect us from that occurring. So it's a huge problem if you think about it. You know, it's not just some petty thefts anymore. This is thousands of dollars that you can never recover. It's, you can't even call the bank and say you are who you are. That money's gone. You know, so the impact of not, you know, not protecting, like, and that can all happen by not having a secure password, you know, or, or using, or being on a public Wi-Fi. There's so many different ways that that one, that one time you, you know, you just turn your guard, your, your guard down, then use a VPN. That's the one time they got into your account, took your password, got into your account, locked you out of your own account, Took your information out, went to the ATM, changed your pin. Like it can all can it all can happen within a few days. You know, here you are figuring out what's going on. That's a bigger impact than losing your wallet. When you lose your wallet, you just lock all your cards and get a new license. Within a few weeks, you're good. But this will take you years to recover from. You know, so it's a huge problem for me, and that's why I'm so passionate about it because you know, for someone who you know came from nothing, came from a village, who worked, who's seen hard work and seen you know. Like I still remember, you know, if someone gave me five dollars at church after walking a mile to church with my family. So you remember every every act of kindness that someone has ever done for you. So being poor, you really appreciate money because it was how you fed, how you got dinner. You know, growing up growing up in Nigeria, it it was hard. You know, you had to pay for water. So if you had money, you were gonna you were gonna die. You know, so when someone has a little bit of money and it's stolen from them, and it's not someone who has a surplus of money, you're stolen. You're stealing from you know a single mother raising her two kids. You know, so to me, it, it does hit me a little bit harder because I know I was struggling growing up that like, I can't, I, I wouldn't feel right knowing that I did that to somebody, you know, because it's not fair because you, you, don't, you don't ask for these positions. You don't ask to be, to be born in poverty. You don't ask to be given hardships, but here you are just doing your best, giving all your hope. And that hacker could have taken all the hope you have. That, that hacker could have taken all the money out of your savings. That could have destroyed every little hope you had, you know, hope for your, you and your kids. You know, but the hacker has no idea what he or she just did. You know, and to me, it's like, you know, it's an ethical problem. You know, we as human beings have to really come together and say, this is not right. Like, we understand that you have the skills, you can do it. But think about it, like, if you could see the person you're rubbing from, 
if you see families that you're stealing these bills of dollars from, it will hit you a little bit harder. You know, you won't walk around stealing wallets if you can really see the families you're taking the money from. You know, and that's why it hits me a little bit harder because, you know, I can't, I, I grew up poor. So to see that poor people are impacted by this, it does kind of hit me a little bit harder. You know, so if I can train them on how to protect themselves, they can keep that money for themselves, for their families, and they can grow and, you know, grow into, into whatever, whatever they want to be. You know, and, um, yeah, sorry, uh, sorry, I got, I got a little passionate there, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not fair when, you know, these, 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 these hackers are stealing money. It's, it's not just, and then the big impact too, people think about like, and when a hack happens to a big company, well, that the company loses a lot of money, the money comes from somewhere, it comes from employees. That's who lose from employees. Not people losing jobs because of your, your greediness, because you want to, you know, test out your hack, you want to, you know, make a, make a scene, or you want to get some money, or get some attention, someone lost their job. Some poor family lost their job because of your action. You know, was it really worth it? You know, it's like, you know, being on that other on the other end of that, it, it's just no way it's worth it. It's, it's not. It's never gonna be worth it. No, it's not. And unfortunately, there will probably always be people who don't recognize that it's not worth it, and who will take advantage of those other more vulnerable people because again, like you said, they can do it and they don't really have to see it. They can bankrupt a family. They can bankrupt or hurt a company so much that they have to cut off some of the, you know, em employees that really need that job. Exactly. And, you know, they're, they're going to do that. And really the only thing we, we can do or small businesses can do, or, you know, even people who need more money to do is, attempt to make themselves less vulnerable and i think institutions like cyber brain academy assist in doing that for a couple reasons one like we've stated they will give an education that will directly result in employment education that is a lot cheaper than formal education which is you know, we, we're kind of taught, go to a four-year university, and at the end of that, where you'll have a job. Well, you know, you and I were lucky enough to have engineering degrees where we were able to, you know, at least be entrusted with some form of employment because we proved, you know, we have engineering skill. It didn't, that degree was four years long and didn't give us the technical skills we needed and actually were required to have. So for a lot of people, it's not affordable. And institutions like Cyber Brain Academy will give them those tools to find employment sooner than a four-year at four-year formal institution could. And will also, you know, these skills, these cyber hygienic skills, they are, you know, like we said, they're just important to have for the layman, for any person who wants to be a part of society today. You have to realize we hold a cyber profile and that cyber profile is social, financial, professional. I mean, you know, it, it really ranges across the entire spectrum of what we are with to our community. Absolutely. And you hit it right there, it's, you know, the community. You know, we start small. You know, here in San Diego, um, I've been I've given classes to the Navy. I've been fortunate enough to to be part of Third Fleet's uh, training as a resource. So I've given 30 plus classes to so to sailors. 
and the advantage of that is that um, the sailors I talk to are about my age. You know, they're about you know late twenties, early thirties, and it's really great because me as a civilian, I get to tell them what a real world's like. You know, but, you know, being the same age, but you know, but me having the parallel viewpoint of being a, a military officer, but also being you know a full time engineer um, working for Deloitte. And I remember telling them like, man, you guys want to pass security plus because of my experience, because of when I graduated from college, I know about these jobs. I know about these opportunities that I do require security plus. I know about the, I know, I know about the DOD 8140. And I, I was able to stress it from a personal experience in a way that it resonates to the youth. Because, you know, here's someone who's telling you, saying like, man, like a few years ago, I'm glad I got a certification and I'm teaching you this, this, this stuff because I'm, it helped my career. So I, I have a personal interest because once a military officer, you know, my job is to, you know, make an impact, is to, um, yes, to, you know, obviously, you know, leave, leave the place better than, than I found it. So as an officer, as a leader, they have that intrinsic trust in the military officer teaching them. But as uh, someone who's, you know, has a, has a certification, authorized to teach, teach the certification, and also, you know, very knowledgeable in, in the field, I have to give them the education format of a very structured approach like a, you know, very like, I teach exactly from the CompTIA format so they can get it directly for the exam. But I also give them the real world knowledge of a military example that they don't really get from most instructors of saying like, instead of like, when we talk about two-factor authentication, for example, I can pull my smart card, smart card out and say, this is, you guys have all this in your back pocket. This is exactly what it says. This is your private key. It's how you encrypt your emails. And all my examples can really resonate because I've been in the military for about 12 years now. So it's about 12 years of experience that I can really hit them on and, and relate to cyber. So as an instructor, I have an advantage by, by really focusing on the military, especially here in San Diego, where it's such a huge Navy presence. And we start locally and help the community here because as sailors come and get stationed here, they can get cybersecurity skills and then go out wherever they want to go and make an impact where they go. Um, and it all starts locally, but you can really make a big impact around the world by really focusing on where you are. And that's what I've been really doing here in San Diego. So, sorry, I just want to go off on what you said. <laughs> no, absolutely. Thank you for sharing. And it's important. I mean, you know, cyber, like we noted at the beginning, it's a global phenomenon, but still our local community matters. And, you know, just it, you know, it, it, it's, it translates across the world, even if you want to be right at home or you want to speak to someone in Nigeria or Korea or anywhere else in the world, cyber hygiene is very, is important today and is only going to become much more important moving forward. Absolutely. And my philosophy is that if anything connects to the internet, it needs to be, needs to be protected. And, you know, the reason why cybersecurity has this, you know, huge, um, huge influx in popularity with business businesses is largely based on the fact that businesses now more than ever rely on, on IT. They need computers. You know, there's no cash register you can have out there that isn't connected to some bigger network. You know, ATM machines are hooked up to IP, to have as that is IP capable. So anything that can, is routable on the internet has to, be, has, to be, has to be protected because you are exposed to hackers, you're exposed to vulnerabilities, you're exposed to threats as equally as anybody else that's connected that has an IP address in the same network. Um, so now more than ever, we're having so many other, so many new IT connected systems and largely the biggest hit, and unfortunately is the healthcare industry. 
because a lot of these IT, IT components are healthcare equipment. And these aren't always built with security in mind. And what we've seen is hackers go after these. Um, with, for example, with WannaCry, the biggest hit for WannaCry, the biggest ransomware attack in the world, was healthcare. They targeted hospitals because a lot of hospitals don't have the funds to really upgrade their IT equipment because the number of priorities saving lives. Technology gets a backseat a lot of times. So now they're losing millions of dollars because hackers give them ransomware, ransomware attacks saying, pay you know, X100K and we'll unlock your medical device. It lets you know if your patient is allergic to this medication you're about to give them. So now you have an advantage as a hacker because if you hack a, a business, it's all about money. It's like, hey, give us money. It's like, hey, it's like how much money, like, is this money that you're demanding worth the impact of not doing it? That's all, that's only the thing you're weighing. It's only, the only two factors. But when you bring in healthcare involved, when you get healthcare involved, you're now looking at it in the scope of, okay, now I have um, the money he wants, but I also have this patient's life. You know, is this, is this, it's not just data anymore. Is the data can be, a this medication is life-threatening, he's allergic, um, and there's more. It's not, it's, it's, and when hackers get information, it's not just we have it, here's a bag. It's also we have it, we can now disclose it. Now your hospital is not a violation of HIPAA. So now you know for sure you have to pay a fine for that. Now it's going to be public. Who's going to trust your hospital? Then you can prepare some advantage for how many years you're getting advantage for. You have this huge, you know, bigger issue that, you know, arises from a ransomware attack that you have to go process through your head. And this is, this is the thing about ransomware is that people think it's like a quick, you know, you get a screen, you pay, you move on. There's a lot of different types of ransomware attacks. And there's some, and this is really why, this is probably, I'm not sure exactly how popular this is yet. I hope it doesn't get more popular, but they'll, they'll delete your files every minute that you don't pay to put more pressure on you. So here you are fighting all this in your head. Like you have to get, by the time you get your manager, you've already lost 10% of your, of your, of your files, you know, and do you really lose it? Or is it going to be, you know, out on WikiLeaks tomorrow? You know, so there's that. It's always, you're always thinking about that. So it's so much pressure. It's unworthy to just like, to think that you're going to be planned for it. You know, because when it happens to you and you're, just, you're walking into your day about doing surgery and boom, here is like the screen of death saying pay or we'll release all your, all your healthcare information about all your patients, all your patients, all your um, employee salaries, your, your social, all this stuff. And we'll release, we'll release 10% every hour. It's like, what? And you start your day like that, 6 a.m. You know, it's like, because it, they, they want to hit you when you're most uncomfortable. Because they want that, they want a lot of emotions out of you. Because they want you to act off emotion and emotion is gonna be fear. You know, fear of loss, fear of damages, and it's gonna be a quick reaction and it's gonna make them a lot of money. Ransomware attacks are so popular, people make millions in a few hours because of how much emotion you can get out the out the out the target. You know, Absolutely. I don't know, I don't know uh, if anyone, you know. I've been cyber attacked or, you know, even this the suspicion of being cyber attacked is very distressing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about just, I think it's because we feel so powerless because all we can do is look behind a screen and see something terrible happening. And we have no power in that moment to stop it. And it's very distressing. Absolutely. And, and, and that's exactly how I feel. Um, if you think about it, a few years ago, when I was talking about my, my, my company, I, I got cyber attacked. I got cyber attacked. Um, I, was, I was on my back end. I was, I was designing my website. And I went, I went to my admin portal and I saw three admins. I'm like, wait, I should be the only admin. And I'm like, oh, crap, they got into my back end. So I had to delete the users. 
share my password, you know, go back to, to an earlier copy and hope that was enough. You know, but yeah, it, it is disturbing because it was, it was probably like two in the morning. It was two in the morning, I was just up late, I was up late coding. And luckily I was up when they were there because they could have kicked me off my admin account. Yes. And now they, they're the admins. They own my entire website. They can do whatever, they can deface it, do whatever they want with it. All because, you know, I wasn't there to kick them off at the right time. So you're right. It's like that two in the morning on a Saturday was when they'll go for you because they know you're going to be asleep or, you know, out or something. So they find when you're most vulnerable. That's why, that's why most cyber attacks happen during the holidays. You know, they really find the times where you're not going to be there. You're not, you're not, you don't have your full IT staff there. That's when they're going to really, you know, hit you. Um, also during like key events, like political elections, um, like um, Olympics, because all your security is going to be focused on one area. And that's going to you know, make them really dilute a lot of the other areas that they'll go after. Um, so they know exactly what they're doing. So it's, it's really, it's really strategy. And that's what I feel like about, you know, being in the military is a cyber warfare aspect where we can go into analyzing the adversary, where it's not just you, you got hacked. Okay, why did they target you? How far did they get? Are you still there? You can ask these kind of questions where it's not like the public just gets, oh, this company got hacked and, and then here you're going to get like $10,000 of coverage for the next X amount of years. It's like, no, like why were they targeted? Who targeted them? You know, how long were they in for? You know, like what's next? Like these are follow-on questions that we don't publicly ask these, these companies. You know, these are, these are questions asked more in private, but we don't get the answers. You know, but here we're the, we're the ones that get in, impacted by this. We're the ones that lose our money. Meanwhile, the company stays afloat. You know, so it's, we should, you know, we hold more, more accountability to these companies and let them know that, you know, when this, when identity theft does happen, you know, we want to know what you're doing about it, you know, so we can trust you again, if we want to trust you again, because so many other vendors out there, you know, for e-commerce, you know, that why would you trust someone that, you know, misuses your information, you know, and companies should have a real threat about that. Because if someone is to go publicly online and say, I put my credit card information in this website and I lost $400 on my bank account, and, and the company does nothing about it, well, we as, we as the public need to stand back and say, okay, well, let's look at, why aren't you doing something about that? That's a problem. Because we're, we're trusting you with our money. It's a contractual, it's a contractual you know, um, agreement that we're going to when I gave you my money for a service. That's all I want is a service. I'm not agreeing to have my information stolen overseas. You know, I'm also agreeing that I hope that you have enough cybersecurity to protect my information you know, when I give it to you. You know, these are kind of basic stuff that you should expect from, from people when you give them your credit card information. Um, because you're the one that gets impacted. If someone steals your identity, the company's safe. You're the one that loses money. So, yeah. Yes, it is. That's why, you know, we as individuals, you know, have to be aware of this and have to take advantages of things of Cyber Brain Academy, not just because we want a good job, and because we want to provide for our families and be a part of the community, but because we can get seriously hurt. We can have our, maybe, you know, not physically, but we can have tremendous hardship brought on us financially or even socially because of not having proper cyber hygiene and not understanding some basic security concepts you know if we're part of a company we could we could we could make our con company very vulnerable so if we are professionals we definitely need to be aware of that but even again like we're highlighting you know companies have a responsibility i think if they're not able to maintain proper cyber hygiene 
they're going to lose a lot of business and a lot of money. So it's in their best interest to have these processes secure. And for the individual, it's the same issue. You know, we have we have social reputations and our finances all online, and those are very delicate. And, you know, hackers are working toward, towards, you know, dismantling that and somehow profiting off of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's going to be the market. And uh, unfortunately, it's only going up. You know, we're, we're going to see more cyber attacks, more money lost every year. Every year, is, it, the, it rises every year. How many, how many uh, bills of dollars we lose every year? And now we're going to you know, crypto, cryptocurrency now. You know, we're going to see another, another market is going to be impacted by cyber attacks. So you know, now more than ever, if you want to advance in technology and innovate, we have to first deal with the problem, which is cyber attacks that are you know, really keeping us from seeing the growth, growth of technology because people are going to be less likely to invest in technology that's insecure. So once we handle the security, you can focus on the innovation and the and more of the um, functionalities that we're looking for in technology without also have to worry about how can this be used against us. Absolutely. Victor, thank you for coming on. Are there any is there anywhere people should go or any sort of way they can connect with Cy- you and Cyber Brain Academy? Yeah, absolutely. So um yeah, the website is cyberbrainacademy.com. Um, we're also um, very active on LinkedIn, very active on Instagram and Facebook as well. So definitely you know, follow us on LinkedIn, follow us on, face- on um, Instagram or Facebook. Uh, we're always on um, Instagram. We post daily daily topics on cybersecurity. So we teach cybersecurity knowledge like backdoor, routers, switches, access control lists, very basic, basic topics on a daily basis. Um, it also you know, reminds soldiers that they're eligible for four grand of our training for free every year. Um, so that's the advantages of you know, following us on Instagram. But you can follow me personally too. Um, I, I'm always active on LinkedIn, um, Victor Nazita, and also on social media, cyber.ceo is my handle on Instagram. My guest today has been Victor Nazita. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Victor. Thanks for having me anytime.